0: And I remember the first time I heard his message, I looked over at my wife and I says, we got to get him to be a speaker at the Pleasant Valley Group. He's our people. And you guys know that uh, each year we try to go out and about and we're connected and we try to talk to you guys and we try to find out people that, that we can bring back here that carries the purest message of Alcoholics Anonymous and what it's done in their life. And each and every year we try to bring you somebody that fully represents the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, it took a lot for him to get here, three years to get here, and our friend Kelly, thankless, give Kelly a hand. <laughs> Kelly C from the Columbus group. Whoop whoop. He's going to take care of Mister Paul after this thing today. But um, but without further ado, I want to tell you that, that each and every year he said yes. He's never said no. Thankless service. He has a lot going on in his life with his children and and his family today. He had a rough lot, not a rough day, but a long day yesterday. And he made it here safe and protected. And I'm sure that you guys are going to absolutely enjoy Paul McHugh. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. My name is Paul and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. It's good to be here and it's good to be sober. I want to thank the group for giving me the opportunity to come here and do service. It's a great honor, a great privilege, and one I don't take lightly. And uh, the energy in this room is just palpable. I mean. I've just enjoyed myself from the moment I got here, you know, there's an old saying in AA, it's the only place in the world that you can walk in a room full of strangers and start reminiscing, you know what I'm saying, like, and you are my people, I mean, if you're new here today, I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous, and if you're not getting anything out of this, it's because you didn't bring anything to put it in, you know what I mean, and, uh, it's just been so much happening here, and, uh, you might be angry, you might be lonely, you might be tired, but you can't say that you're hungry, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, I want to thank Dinesh for picking me up at the airport last night. Ran, I don't know if you rank your sponsees, but you've got to move Dinesh up a few spots, you know? <laughs> he picked me up at the airport 11 o'clock last night, and then we drove two and a half hours here, and and we are driving deeper, and it's getting darker, and it's getting darker, and there's mountains, I'm like... What are these people in the A.A. Witness Protection Programme, you know? I mean, like a, what a, a grizzly bird's going to be the greeter, you know what I mean? And, I know we're anonymous, but this is ridiculous, you know? But uh, the minute I walked in here, I feel right at home. You know, and because of the grace of God and alcoholic anonymous, I didn't have to reach for a drink today. And I know we got some new people here today, and I want to welcome you. And as a joke, goes, the guy's got 90 days in the programme and he's talking to his sponsor, and the sponsor says, I just think where you were just 90 days ago. And the sponsor, says, well, actually, I was sitting in a hot tub, half drunk, surrounded by beautiful women in bikinis. And the sponsor says, isn't that wonderful that you don't have to live that way anymore today, you know? <laughs> so maybe you're thinking, is this it, you know? But I'm here at time, I'm here to sell Alcoholics Anonymous, it's attraction, not promotion. I don't mean cash and prizes, but you cannot get where I'm standing today from where I came from without Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? It's an impossible journey. And why do I come to A? I know where the movie goes, but I wouldn't miss it to see one, someone come to the doors here on the worst night of their life and be given the grace not to drink, you know? I, mean, I know we've got some people here today that are non-alcoholics and maybe some people sitting on the fence And you know, we got those 10 questions you're an alcoholic and 20 questions if you're an alcoholic. Well, maybe this will sum it up for you. There's a guy who's 25 years sober and he's out on a blind date with this normal drinker. You know, they met on one of those dating websites. And she's having a glass of wine and he's having a glass of water. And she says, I notice you don't drink. He says, No, I don't drink. She goes, You don't drink at all? He says, Not at all. She goes, Not even one drop. He says, Not even one drop. She says, What would happen? if you took a drink of my wine, and he sat back and he said, well, just imagine you wake up tomorrow morning and your car's gone, your money's gone, your credit cards are gone, your phone's gone. She says, that would happen to you if you took one drink? She says, no, what happened happen to you if I took one drink, you know? <laughs> and if you think that's funny, you're probably an alcoholic, you know what I mean? So you can Dispense with the ten and twenty questions, and uh, as <laughs> I sat here, I'm standing here today. You know, as I said there, you cannot get where I am today from where I came from. And I said the, the the power of alcoholic snobmas, and to be together with our people here. You know, you understand me, and I understand you. I'm a great believer that alcoholism is a de- disease of disconnection. My my disease operates from the neck up. It wants me. Talking to me about me. That's a conversation I can't have. That's a conversation that doesn't end well. And thank God an alcoholic synonymous. And I've seen it here all morning. We don't speak the language of the head. We speak the language of the heart. And what is alcoholic synonymous? If you bring it down to its purest form. It's one alcoholic. Talking with another alcoholic. I hope I never talk to an alcoholic. I hope I never talk at an alcoholic. I hope and pray I never get up on the spiritual hilltop and talk down to an alcoholic. It's one alcoholic talking with another alcoholic to remove feelings of differentness and separateness and uniqueness. I am you and you are me. As my dear friend Liz B who just passed away. She was the first African-American woman to get sober in AA. She just passed away there about two months ago a month short shy of her 70th anniversary. And Liz would all, I took many trips with Liz, and Liz would always say, without you, there's no me. And it's not so true. If I'm doing A, the new people, if I'm doing A alone, I'm not doing AA. There's a friend of mine who says, it's BB. I said, what's BB? He says, I don't know, but it's not AA, you know? <laughs> and I think Bill Wilson got that from day one. I mean, I'm a bit of an AA nerd, you know, and every year on December 11th, I'll go into New York City, and it's not a hospital today, it's uh, some offices and some apartment buildings where Towns Hospital used to be, where Bill Wilson got sober on December 11th of 1934. And I've stood outside that building. I don't know what happened in that room. It talks a little bit in his story, and he, he wrote some letters in it. But it was a change that changed everything. I mean, before that event... I mean, you think about before AA, I'll be honest with you, I never took my sobriety for granted. I've always been very grateful to be sober. But I took AA for granted. Like, AA has just always been here. And then you hang around here and you realise that AA hasn't been around that long, less than 100 years. And the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, for people like me, there's not a whole lot of options for a guy like me. I'm either going to go to a jail, I'm going to go to an institution, or I'm going to go to a graveyard, and the sad thing about this disease, by the time you're actually graveyard dead, you've been dead mentally and spiritually and emotionally for years, and anybody who married in your life is long gone, because that's what we do to people: we squeeze and we squeeze. They're like, go in and drink, or go in, don't drink, but you got to go. It's no coincidence, Lois Wilson, Bill Wilson's wife, when she wrote her story. It was called when love is not enough. If love could have got me sober, I'd have been sober a long time before AA. Good people, people that cured for me deeply, tried, but it was never enough. The love behind me was never stronger than the drink ahead of me. Thank God for alcoholic synonymous. And I've stood outside that building on his anniversary night, and I don't know what happened. Bill talks about in his story... And he had this, he'd been through the six steps of the Oxford group with M.E.T., and he had this of experience, and his first thought would be, surely there must be other people out there like me. That might have been my first thought. I'm a sort of a pull the gangplank up, I'm on board, you know what I mean? Like, and he thought of others, and he thought, it was mentioned by Rand, he thought he had this vision of a chain. And he thought of a chain of drunks, one drunk helping another. And isn't that so true? What is alcoholic's synonymous? That's what I ask myself every day. How strong is my link in the chain? Is it strong to the people that went ahead of me? And more importantly, literally and physically, is it strong to the people that are coming behind me? If someone says to me today, Paul, can I comprehend the word serenity? Can I know peace? Absolutely walk this journey with us. And before he even left the hospital, it says in the doctor's opinion that Bill Wilson requested the privilege of speaking with the other patients. We didn't have the 12 steps. We didn't have the literature. But long before it was written in a book, it was written in our hearts and our souls. And before Bill Wilson even left that, I mean, and it says, in it, I mean, the jokes write themselves. Hold on a second. You mean the guy who's been detoxed three times? He wants to talk with the patients. And it says in the book, in the doctor's opinion, with serious misgiving, they allowed it to happen. We didn't have a 12th step, but Bill Wilson was trying to practice the principles of this program even before he left the hospital. And isn't that so true in my life today? If I'm not trying to find some way of practicing this 12th step, What am I doing here? I'm working an 11-step program. You know what an 11-step program is for a guy like me? It's nothing more than a self-help program. It's a highly evolved self-help program, but it's all about me. That 12-step completes that spiritual circuit. Without you, there's no me. And Bill Wilson went to work. And he ran around New York City for six months trying to get people sober. And he did what I was talking about. He was up on the spiritual hilltop trying to jam that experience down somebody else's throat. And I used to discount the non-alcoholics. What do they know? We wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for the non-alcoholics. Because he went home to his wife and he says, Lois, I thought I was on the right track talking with another alcoholic. But I've been doing this for six months and I haven't got one person sober What's the old story in AA when you're inside the jar, you can't read the label? Lois is standing outside the jar and she says, Bill, you're still sober. You went back to Dr. Silkworth and Dr. Silkworth says, Bill, you're going to a guy on a park bench trying to shove this experience you had. Why did you talk about the one-two punch that puts every alcoholic on the ropes? The obsession that gets them drinking... And the allergy that keeps him drinking once he starts. And Bill Wilson realized his method was right, but his delivery was all wrong. And when he met Dr. Bob, he said those beautiful words. Did you ever feel like drinking when you didn't want to? And Dr. Bob said, yeah, last night. Did you ever start drinking and you can't stop? Yes, last night. An alcoholic's Anonymous was born. You know what I love about AA. AA's birthday is not December 11th, 1934, when Bill Wilson got sober. It's June 10th, 1935, when Dr. Bob got sober. Because now you got two people sober. Now you're in the business. So if you're new here today, don't do this alone. You know, it talks in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous about the old ancient theory of the world being flat. And in some respects, the AA world. It's a flat earth. If you go to the age of Alcoholics Anonymous, you go off. And the thing about going to the age of AA, it's a drift, almost a glacial drift. And you don't realise you're going to you're gone. And by the time you get to the age of Alcoholics Anonymous, if there's any signposts, there are language you don't speak anymore, and language you don't understand anymore. So if you're new here today, come right into the middle of alcoholic tsunamis. And you know the wonderful thing about AA that I just love? You don't have, if you're new here today, you don't have to go and meet AA. AA will meet you exactly where you are. Whether you're sober a day, a year, 30 years or 50 years, this program and this fellowship in my experience will meet you exactly where you are. I love the fact that Alcoholics Anonymous, everyone in here, no matter how long you're sober, everyone in Alcoholics Anonymous has worth and value. Because this is God's economy. And everyone in God's economy today has worth and value. In fact, A is the only place I know in the world where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And we all come in here one day, five days, a month, a year, a year. Like my sponsor says, we come to the AA campfire with our damp log and we throw it onto the fire and hope that it catches fire. If you're new here today, the fire is burning bright in this room today. I'm telling you. Just throw your log onto the fire and watch it catch fire, you know. It really is, so uh, thank God for that, you know. So I would like to tell you about a little bit about how it was and what happened and how it is today, and hopefully by, by 6 o'clock I should be able to wrap it all up, you know. <laughs> I know this may come as a shock to some people here today, but I'm not from the neighbourhood originally, you know what I'm saying, you know. It's about 35 years now since I left my native Cuba, and, uh, you know... I'm from Ireland, Northern Ireland, I grew up just outside of Belfast, and I don't know if I was born an alcoholic, I became an alcoholic, was a symptom looking for disease, but on reflection, you could have brought me from the delivery room right to the AA room, you know what I'm saying, you know? <laughs> and uh, and I think it's so good in life, you know, I mean everything I need to know I found out at my first meeting, my name is Paul and I'm an alcoholic. But that tells me who I am, what I am, where I am, what I need to be doing. And if I make that the central fact of my life, things around me may not be okay, but I will be okay. And I think in life, and a life that can seem so uncertain at times, I think it's so good to know who you are and where you belong. I'm an alcoholic, and I belong in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been surrendered by the bottle to the bottle. There's nothing left in a drink for me, only pain, trouble, and misery. So really, when you're new in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know what I love about AA? A doesn't tell you a hundred things one time. They tell you four or five things a hundred times. Because I've got to hear this stuff over. And I learned two plus two is four once in my life. Never to learn it again. Because that's intellectual. But this is spiritual. And I have to listen to everyone talking. A friend of mine says, we all sing off the same song sheet, but in different voices. And we all come in here with our different voices. And I've got to hear from you and you. And it's this repetition over and over you know what I love about AA, if you're new here today, I just celebrate, I was talking there, I just celebrated an anniversary there, August 20th, with the grace of God and alcoholics. Anonymous. I was because, of, and I say this, a testament to the power of AA, not me, uh, 30 years sober, and uh, <clears throat> you know what I love about AA, it's not like when you're 10 years sober to go, Paul. Come up here. We want to give you the steps that you get when you're 10 years sober. Here you go. Oh, you're 20 years sober. Here's the 20. The same steps that are on the wall at my first meeting are the same steps on the wall today. I mean, that's a little bit. Eh, the steps don't change. So that can only mean one other thing. I change. And that's the wonderful thing about this program. It's not intellectual. It's organic. It's living. It's breathing. It never gets old. You know what I used to think? I used to think that the 12 steps were about stopping drinking. I found out that the 12 steps are not about stopping drinking. The 12 steps are about not starting drinking. Big difference. Because I could stop drinking, I stopped many times, but I couldn't stop starting. Because what would happen is I would stop. See, I almost went to the graveyard thinking that I had a drinking problem. A drinking problem is solved by not drinking. Our book talks about it. A medical reason, a romantic reason, a change of environment. And those people can stop or even moderate. But then it talks about us. But what about the real alcoholic? I have alcoholism. And that's a horse of a different color. Yes, it's physical. You can't enjoy the benefits of being sober and drink booze at the same time. But it's also mental and spiritual. And in my case, wrapped up in a body full of sick emotions. I like to say sick emotions because it sounds good. They're really childish emotions. (laughs) So what happened? I would come out of a hospital. I remember coming out of a hospital one time. If you had put me in a lie detector machine, I would have passed with flying colors. That's it. I'm done. It's over. But I didn't have 12 steps. I didn't have 12 traditions. I didn't have unity. I didn't have service. I didn't have recovery. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have a home group. It was me against the first drink. And up in this moment today, I have never beaten an obsession to drink. It's like getting in the ring with a heavyweight champion. A child could say, don't get in the ring. But don't get in the ring means don't take the first drink. And I don't know how not to take the first drink. So I keep getting back in the ring. Perhaps you can identify And I tell myself, the epitaph of the alcoholic, it'll be different this time. I'm really going to watch it. The minute it starts to get out of control, I'm going to pull it back in again. And what would happen to me is, perhaps you can identify, a week would go by and I get the stone in the shoe. Two weeks go by, I've got a knot in the stomach. Three weeks go by, I'm so hot under the collar, you could fry eggs in the back of my neck. The walls are closing in and I drink again. So what I think the 12 steps do, they don't stop me drinking. They remove the things that keep me starting drinking. Irritability, discontent, anger, resentment, all the things that keep driving me back to drink. They remove those. They asked Michelangelo, Michelangelo one time, how did you create the statue of David? It's so beautiful. And he said, I took a piece of marble and I removed everything that didn't belong. And I was left with this. And I think that's what the steps do. They remove everything that doesn't belong here. So I'm left with who my higher power always wanted me to be before drink took me down a different road. You know? Woo! So as I'm saying there, I'm growing up in Northern Ireland. And, and I've heard people tell different stories in the podium. Some people have been successful and I had a modicum of success. That's not my story. I came out of the starting blocks at 15 years of age. I went flat on my face. Within six months of taking that first drink. And it says, like, most people out there in the real world, the non-alcoholics, they drink because of what alcohol does to them. Our book talks about it, a sense of conviviality, a social lubricant, companionship. I don't drink because of what alcohol does to me. I drink because what alcohol does for me. Alcohol does something for me that it doesn't do for a normal or even a heavy drinker. One drink changes how I feel about me, you, and this. And that's why I'm gonna keep coming back for more. And even though the consequences, what your book says, our problems pile up, becoming astonishingly difficult to solve, I will keep going back to drink. A friend of mine says one time, I didn't like this question. He says, "Do you want to stop drinking, or you just want the consequences of your drinking to stop?" <laughs> I want to drink with impunity, but that's not who I am. I'm an alcoholic. From day one, there was consequences to my drinking. Within six months of taking that first drink, I'm getting my stomach pumped out on a school night. And they told my parents, it's a good job you brought him to the hospital. He probably would have died of alcoholic poisoning. That didn't stop me. You know? Before I'm out of my teens, I'm a daily drinker. Before I'm out of my teens, I'm taking morning drink. And it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. But if you're new here today, let me tell you something. And this is not some sales pitch. Some snake oil salesman. As far down as you go with drink you can come back up on Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and promise you the moon and the stars. There's things I lost through drinking, and they didn't come back. There's things you might have lost through drinking, and they might not come back either. Thank God for this program. Who among us could live with the guilt and the shame and remorse of our drinking if it wasn't for the 12 steps to alleviate that? I wasn't a sociopath. I knew the bridges I burned, the damage I did, the people I walked away from, the 12 steps of AA. I can't change my past, but I'm able to come to terms with my past because of the 12 steps of AA. If you're new here today, we don't do the steps because they're nice. We do them because they're necessary for recovery. If I want to get physically and mentally and spiritually rehabilitated, I have to work this program. I've tried every other way of getting the vital spiritual experience. Some been symbolic victories, but nothing of any permanence. It's a God-shaped hole, and only God through the 12 steps can fill that. So those steps of AA, you'll hear people saying, "AA, Oh, you're just an arm's length away from a drink. I suppose that's true. But right here, right now, not because of me, Because of AA, I'm 12 steps away from a drink. And that's a long way from when I first walked into AA. But don't get me wrong, it's a daily reprieve, not a lifetime pardon. I've seen people drink again in AA that I thought would never drink again. And that tells me the day that I think I'm staying sober is the day I'm getting ready to get drunk again. And they're not 12 steps up to anything. They're 12 steps down to humility. Humility. A friend of mine drank after a long time in AA. She says, you know how you get drunk in AA? You give those steps back one step at a time. Take your will back in three. Become insane in two. So insane you tell yourself you're not an alcoholic and get drunk in the first step. I don't know about tomorrow and yesterday's gone, but right here, right now, because of the 12 steps, I'm safe, I'm protected. As a friend of mine said, I'm standing here today hundreds of miles from my home, but I'm safe, I'm sane, and I'm sober. Now you put one drink in me, not five or ten or twenty. I'm not safe. I'm certainly not sane. And I'm certainly not sober. But right here, right now, and that's what I want to offer anybody that's new, you can be safe and protected and be safe, sane, and sober and not have to drink no matter what. And I was an alcoholic who had to drink no matter what. So thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. So my life's falling apart in Northern Ireland, but I don't want to look in. I'm a finger pointer. I'm always into the blame game. That's the story of my life. I'm always looking for an outside fix for an inside job. I grew up in Northern Ireland you got to love the Irish, with this low-level civil war going on in, in Northern Ireland, they called it the Troubles, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> the Troubles, you know, and uh, I was a working class Catholic from the wrong side of the tracks, I had a big chip on my shoulder. In fact, when I got to AA, the guy says to me, you know something, you're a well-balanced guy. I f- finally, somebody knows what's going on around here. He says, yes, you got a chip on both shoulders, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hated everything, hated everybody. Can always find the needle in the haystack. So I'm blaming Northern Ireland. I can't get a break. So I come home to my father. You know where alcoholics are, we're so dramatic, you know? I come home to my father and I said, Dad, sit down. I got some bad news for you. He says, What is it? I said, I'm going to America. And don't try and talk me out of it. He says, Talk you out of it, I'll help you pack. (laughs) On you go, Columbus. Let me give you some folly advice. Turn left to Greenland, you know. (laughs) I know we got some new people here today that might know this. A little inside uh, uh, trivia. That Columbus was actually an alcoholic. you think about it, he must have been an alcoholic. When he set off, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. When he got back, he didn't know where he had been. And he got a woman to pay for the trip, not once, but twice. So you know he must have been an alcoholic, right? (laughs) So I'm looking for the outside fix for the inside job. It's no coincidence I'm standing in America with an Irish accent. I was a runner, a long-distance runner. I found out in AA that every time I ran away from life, I was the guy firing the starting pistol. So I come over here in America. Was it different? Absolutely. It was worse. Like driftwood, I washed up on Rockaway Beach, New York. I don't know if you know Rockaway Beach, New York. It's a big Irish-American neighbourhood. And people, even people not in A.A., they go, oh, Rockaway Beach, the Irish Riviera. (laughs) We know it better in A.A. as cirrhosis by the Sea. There's more alcoholics per square foot. There's two types of people in Rockaway Beach, those that are in AA and those that should be in AA, you know? And to make matters worse, I get a job as a bartender. Now I hold the title of being the worst bartender in the worst bar in Rockaway Beach. I worked in a bar, we had a bouncer on the door, but he was there to throw people into the bar, you know what I mean? Like you know the sort of a bar? You know the sort of a bar if you want to see a full set of teeth. You need 32 customers, you know what I'm saying? Sort of high-end. I mean, mean, this bar had it all, alcoholics, drug addicts, degenerate gamblers, and that was just the staff. That was even the customers, you know? And you all like beautiful women, but oh, this place, ladies' night, most of the women that come into this bar look like they put their makeup on when they were jumping up and down on a trampoline. You know what I mean? It's like over here and back over here and over here, you know? but water finds to some level I'm still alcoholics alcoholics I fit it in like a glove I'm not going to go into the whole ins and outs of it I've experienced every form of drinking weekend drinking daily drinking morning drinking by the time I'm 25 I'm putting axes on calendars I'll stop for this and I'll stop for that all the stuff it says in chapter 3 all these cosmetic changes you know I'll switch from this drink to that drink take a trip not take a trip read this book don't read this book isn't it amazing, like, you know, all the things, because, I mean, why? Why do the vast majority of alcoholics die drunk? I mean, they reckon that 10% of America has a problem with alcohol. That means there should be 33 million people sitting in AA just in the United States alone. I mean, just over 2 million worldwide. Now, I don't know why that is, but I think, like myself, I'm willing to make these cosmetic changes. But really, when you come into Alcoholics Islamists and you start to take on board here, what you're really saying, which is hard for me to say, my old way of life, my whole raison d'etre, my whole reason for being, is completely wrong. And not only is it wrong, I'm going to have to accept 12 new ideas that seem so radical, it's almost too much. And that's why the vast majority of alcoholics will die drunk, not even knowing they're alcoholics. Or if they are, not been willing to do what's required here for the successful consummation of this program. And that was me. By 25, I had my first hospital. I had an alcoholic seizure. I woke up in the local hospital. By the time I'm 27, I'm trying all these things to stop drinking, but I can't stay stopped. And it just got worse and it got worse. And like I said earlier on there, if love could have got you sober. I remember one time I'm on a bad drunk and I I collapsed in this bar in an alcoholic seizure. And I woke up in the hospital and there's a woman standing by the bedside and with this on-again, off-again relationship. And I wasn't trying to be cinematic. I took her hand and I said, I know I can't drink. It's obvious I can't drink. And I will never, ever drink again. But I left that hospital, I really didn't know what the problem was, step one. I really didn't know that I've got a body that won't let me drink and a mind that won't let me stop. That one drink creates a thirst I can't quench. That when I control my drinking, I don't enjoy it. And when I enjoy my drinking, I can't control it. That with your help, I haven't been a drink in over 30 years. One drink today, destination unknown. I didn't know that. So I'd leave the hospital, not knowing what the problem is. I certainly didn't know what the solution is, a spiritual awakening. And I hadn't got used good people in my life to bring me between the two. One more time, me against the first drink. And I've never beaten an obsession to drink single-handedly. And it just got worse and it got worse. I love when someone's telling their story and it goes down and it goes down and then they say what I believe is the most spiritual words in an A qualification, on them. There's not a person in here 24 hours sober that hasn't had an and then moment, and this is mine. I'm in the apartment. Here's a recipe for happiness. Lock yourself in an apartment, close the blinds, drink round the clock, and play the saddest blues music that you can get your hands on. I would listen to stuff like the great Warren Zevon, if you won't leave me, I'll find somebody that will. That's the sort of songs alcoholics like to listen to, you know? Or the Al-Anon version of that song, If you leave me, can I come too? I'm just joking if anybody's here from Al-Anon. So I didn't go to Skid Row, but I brought Skid Row to me, or like our book says, house in disarray, bills in arrears, bottles all over the place. And then a piece of paper came under my door. I thought it was an eviction notice. And I picked up this piece of paper. And it said on it what I've been hearing since I was 16 back in Belfast. Paul, you're a nice guy, but you drink too much. And it had a man's telephone number on it. Now, it's strange enough, a piece of paper coming under your door. The stranger thing is, I called the number. Because I'm Irish, stoic don't tell nobody nothing. I built these walls high and I built them deep. You weren't getting in, but guess what? I wasn't getting out. I was in a prison of my own making. And I called this totally against my my personality. I called this guy, and his name was Jerry. I can remember like it was yesterday. His wife answered the phone, great member of Al-Anon. She says, I think it's that Irish guy on the phone. And he goes, tell him about And he comes to the phone out of breath. And, I, and he says, I know where you are. I know your apartment number. Me and, another, me and another man's coming over to your apartment. And I hung up the phone. And about 20 minutes later, two complete strangers from the South Bronx group in New York. And that group had a mantra. We don't give up on anybody. Thank God they didn't give up on me. Because this would be the and then moment in my life. Now they came into my apartment. Now back in August of 92, the few people left in my life, all they wanted to talk about was my drinking. Hey Paul, we need to talk about your drinking. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense to me now that God would use alcoholics to get other alcoholics sober. Because I listened to nobody. Since I was a kid, friends, family, soccer coaches, loved ones, girlfriends, in one ear and out the other ear. But here comes these two guys. Never met them before in my life. One guy was a subway conductor, the other guy was a commercial removals guy in Manhattan. But like our book says, they were armed with the facts about themselves. And they came in and they sat down and they didn't talk about my drinking. Just like Bill Wilson with Dr. Bob. They talked about their drinking. And they told story after story of their drinking. And then the magic happened. Our most prized possession in AA, identification. They talked about them, and I found out about me. Here was two guys seemed to know more about my life in the last three years than I did. And I put my head in my hands, almost like that classic scene in the man in the bed. And I coughed up the big furball. The worst kept secret in Rockaway Beach. A secret that I hadn't even told myself. I said, I can't stop drinking. I can't stop drinking. The last time I drank, I was convulsing so bad they had to put me in a restraining sheet at the hospital and jammy me full of Librium. I was drinking the same day as I got out of the hospital. What the hell's the matter with me? And the guy put his arm around me and he says, Paul, you're an alcoholic and help is on the way. And about 36 hours later, I got bookended into a car and got brought into my first meeting of AA. And walking into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous is the greatest singular event in my life. Everything else is secondary and tertiary. Little did I know that would be the 180 turn that would start to lead me out. I know there's people sitting out there today and they're going, Paul, it's okay for you. You look like you got your life together. You're 30 years sober. You don't know where I'm at. Well, maybe I don't. But there's a saying in AA. People say you go 10 miles into the forest, you got to go 10 miles out. I don't believe that in AA. I don't care how deep and how dark and how painful the forest you're in is today. A tells me, and I will tell you, you're just 12 steps away from a new life. Woo! Yeah! A brand new life. A is the only place I know where you get to live two lives in one lifetime. People come to A, to go, oh, I came to AA and I got my life back. I don't want my life back. It sucked. I <laughs> had it for 30 years. Are there people in my life in the drinking days? Absolutely. But things are different today. And that classic line of days and wine and roses, Jack Lemmon says to Lee Lemmon, where were we? We were lost on a sea of booze. There was any coordinates. It was pain and misery. And every once in a while, I'd wash up on dry land. You know where alkies are. We're great starters. But everything was always built on sand. Not today. Because of you people on this program Some days of spiritual warfare out there, and the world can huff and it can puff, but thank God if I stay close to the principles of AA, my sober house doesn't have to blow down. Now, these two guys brought me to my first meeting. It was a classic New York City meeting, two speakers and a leader, a one-hour meeting. I don't know who spoke. I don't know what they said, what they didn't say. But I walked into that meeting one way and I walked out another way. Now that's, I know that's not everybody's story but this is mine. And I had a little feeling inside my stomach at that first meeting. I didn't know what it was that night but I know today what it was. It was hope. I believe if AA you bring A down to its purest form it's hope in human form. People get people sober. God works through people. And the spiritual conduit that he uses to spread his love and grace is the fellowship of AA. I'd never come to a meeting yet and seen God sitting in the back corner. But I see God today in the face of every person here. Every person. I see the face of God. So I would like to tell you that I took the ball that night and ran and scored a touchdown. But I didn't. Our, bo- our book says... We have to let go absolutely of all our old ideas. And I came into AA with a lot of old ideas. Barroom mentality. Barroom mentality that might serve me well at 2 o'clock in the morning some gin mill, but was not helping me in AA. Now, I didn't drink. I was doing the top of the three parts to the triangle. I was doing Unity. I was going to plenty of meetings. Many meetings make it easy, few make it hard, none make it impossible. I need you and you need me. And that's okay by me. Service, I said, I'm making more coffee than Juan Valdez. Are you kidding me, service? But I wouldn't do door number three. I wouldn't do the steps. The steps seem touchy, feely, warm and fuzzy. I said, I do these steps, the next thing I'll have wind chimes hanging up around the house, you know. I'll be wearing flip-flops even in the wintertime, you know. Joining Oprah's book club, you know. I know I'm dating myself there. And I'm here to tell you, not in the theoretical, from personal experience, we talk about the three parts of the triangle. You can stay dry in two parts of the triangle. I've done it. You can even stay dry in one part of the triangle. I've done that too. But if I want to get free from the one guy I can never get free from... And live in the place I've never lived, which is right here, right now. I've got to put all three parts of that triangle into my life and I've got to do it every day. But what a small price to pay for the life that He has given me. I was in Las Vegas one time and I don't gamble, but I like to watch, you know. And uh, maybe you've seen those guys. I was at Caesar's Palace and they've got the side room. They're playing high stakes, Texas Hold'em. And I see the guy gets up and he gets all his chips and he says, I'm all in. And I thought to myself, what a great metaphor for Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to be all in. And I got to be all in every day. Because guess what? The disease of alcoholism is all in every day. This disease never, ever takes a day off. That's been my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm here to tell you, you can fool them at the coffee pot at 7 30 at night. I've done it. Poor people say to me, Paul, how's it going? Oh, it's going wonderful. You know when untreated alcoholism would come to visit me? Three o'clock in the morning. Could'ves, should'ves, would'ves, guilt, shame, remorse, another sleepless night in quote-unquote sobriety. And every night, about three o'clock in the morning, there'd be this book that would magically appear on my bedside table, and it wasn't a big book. And the book was called Where I Should Be in My Life by Now. By Paul McQuaid. (laughs) You start reading at three o'clock in the morning with no drink and no programme, you're ready to put a rope over the rafters. (laughs) And there was people here talking about the problem and the solution and how to go between the two. But what does Chuck Chamberlain say? You'll eventually hear what you came here to hear and you'll eventually see what you came here to see but you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I was a closed circuit. Nothing was getting in and nothing was getting out. I had a sponsor but a name only. And a guy came up to me at a meeting one night. He says, Paul, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah. He says, over here. You're dying. And you're dying right in the middle of AA. You're like a starving man at a spiritual banquet. There's all this food on offer. And you're over here living on bread and water. It was like he walked into my bedroom and threw a bucket of cold water over me. That's exactly what I was doing. There's a story, and some people would say it's a religious story, but it's really a spiritual story. And it's a story of the prodigal son. And if you think about it, we're all prodigal sons and prodigal daughters here. And you know how the story goes? The guy gets his inheritance, and he goes off to a foreign land, burns his life to the ground. He's got nothing left. He's homeless, and he decides to go back home to his father, his father thought he was dead. And was like, what, my son is still alive? So it was a big party. Now, I read that story many, many times. Though a guy pointed out to me, it never actually says if the son goes into the house. It says he comes up to the house. It never actually says if he goes in. If you're new here today, don't do what I did. Now, while you're here That's between you and your higher power. But I will tell you, you've been called to the banquet. You've been called to the spiritual banquet. Don't stand outside the door. Come in, sit down, and partake of everything that's on offer. Your higher power wants to give you an abundance. Now, your abundance might look different than my abundance, but he wants to give you an abundance. That can't happen if you're outside that door. So come all the way in here and partake of everything that's on offer. That was a mistake I made in Alcoholics Anonymous. Is it nice to do the steps and find out who you are and who you're not? Yes. You know, my life caught on fire when I turned around and I tried to bring another man through the program. And after that guy spoke to me, I still wasn't convinced. The next day, this is two and a half years off drink with no program. I've been the jumping off place twice in my life. Once with drink and once with no drink and no program. It's a different type of pain, but pain nonetheless. I'm driving out of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. I don't know if you know New York City. Under the Gowanus Expressway, six lanes, rush hour traffic, and a guy cut me off. Now, I'm not that type of guy. I chase after him. I jam against the guardrail. I'm blocking three lanes of rush hour traffic. This is two and a half years old. I'd, I'd never done anything close to this drinking. But the walls are closing in. I go back to the guy's car. There's an Asian man sitting behind the wheel shaking. His wife's crying in the passenger seat. And his three children are crying in the back of the car. This is two and a half years off Drink with no program. I apologized profusely at his window. I got back in my own car. I hit my head on the steering wheel and I said I'm crazier off drink than I was on it and in some respects that's true. I drove to my sponsor's house in name only. Sober a long time but you can only help somebody that wants to be helped. I went as far as you can go in osmosis and he was sitting on his porch smoking a big cigar and I pulled up in the car and I says Jimmy I've got to talk to you. He said What happened? I told him what I just told you. And he sat back and he says, how old were you when this happened? I says, Jimmy, this happened 20 minutes ago in the Guan's Expressway. What do you mean, how old? Remember getting like, lost in translation here, you know? Like, you're hooked on phonics, the shamrock version, you know? And he coined a phrase, Harry Tebow, that was a great friend of AA, not an alcoholic, but understood alcoholism like few do. Coined a phrase for people like me, His Majesty the Baby. He says, you're like a child in a man's body. He says, number one, they don't make cribs in your size. That's number one. (laughs) Number two, you've been tiptoeing around this program, keeping everybody at arm's length with your one-liners and your glib phrases. If you don't get into this program, if you don't get free from you and start to live here where you don't live, your life's going to go on, lived, my friend, in sobriety, and that's on you. George Eliot, the writer, says, "It's never too late to live the life you're meant to live," and that's been my experience in alcoholics anonymous. You know, and that's what I want to say, my dear. New here today, we threw the word miracle around a lot, in AA. What is a miracle? It's a complete reversal or upheaval of the laws of nature. It's in my nature to be lying drunk somewhere today, and I'm not. Now, how did that happen? didn't happen because of me. It happened because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's a miracle here with your name on it. Nobody can take it from you or for you. Come into AA and start to live the life that your higher power always wants you to live. So against my better judgment, I get into the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, is it nice to do the steps? Yes. But my life caught on fire when I tried to help somebody else. And I'm not going to stand up here and say, you know, you do the steps of AA. The steps of AA don't give you immunity from life. Life goes on. The same things that happen to people outside of AA happen to people in AA. AA doesn't give you immunity from life. But what it did give me was what I could never do, which was life on life's terms. I mean, get, if you're new here today... Getting sober is not easy. The roller coaster goes up, and the roller coaster goes down. Just don't get off. Stay on. Ride it out. You know. And um, and as I said, there my life. I said ups and downs in sobriety. I mean, getting sober is not easy. Getting sober is probably the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life, except one other thing: drink yourself to death. my life you know through journeys and sobriety and uh, different things happened and thank god i've never had to do this alone marty Mann, the first woman to get sober in a.a her story is the big book women suffer too and she was given an early manuscript of the big book and she wasn't impressed highly educated but some of the best finishing schools in europe and she was like but dr harry tebow that was her doctor Convinced her to go to a meeting. There was only one meeting in New York City then, in Bill Wilson's living room or his father-in-law's living room. And she went to the meeting, and she went back to the rehab in Westchester, and she said those famous words to the women: "We are no longer alone." That's how I feel in AA. Went through difficult times in AA. Able to do it. I went through. I remember going through a divorce at 20 years sober. Resentment to here, habit up to here another guy involved. But thank God I didn't go through it alone. If I'm going through something alone in AA, it's because I want to. There's not one thing in this world that I have to go through alone anymore. I remember my little girl was nine years of age at the time. i will be putting her to bed at night, and she'd be saying, Daddy, I don't want to get divorced. And I'd be sitting in the living room, 20 years sober, my life falling apart right in the middle of AA. What's wrong with me? Whatever. But I was able to get through those difficult times. An alcoholic's anonymous, And that little girl. it's, It's no coincidence I'm standing here today. I was telling Dinesh last night. I dropped that little girl off at college yesterday. She's 18 years of age. And this is only because I'm sober. I get to show up in my life. And I get to show up in your life. And I'm dropping her off and and, uh, uh, you know, I didn't, have, I didn't think, what I got so emotional, I got so, I couldn't believe it, you know, and uh, I said, if, if, if they hear about this, they'll be taking my Irish passport away, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm, I'm crying on one thing or another, and, and uh, she says to me, Daddy, I'm nervous, and she used people taught me to identify somebody's feelings, not compare. I said, of course you're nervous. This is a big step in your life, but it's a necessary step, and you're going to be wonderful. I said, you know what my friends tell me? You know what my friends tell me to do when I'm nervous? Ask God to come with me. I just said, I like that. I said, you know what my friends tell me? When I'm really nervous, open the door and ask God to go first. Oh, I really like that. And she called me later on. She says, Daddy, everything's wonderful. I'm all settled in. I met all these new people and whatnot. Now, every day is not dropping your, da- your daughter off at college. But alcoholic tsunamis, the golden memories that A has given me. I'm, I was 60 years old on August 15th. And I was t- 30 years sober on August 20th. I'm thinking about 60, 30. I'm only scratching the surface. But I'll tell you this. I believe, as Richard Rohr says, life is lived forward but understood backwards. And I've been long enough sober and alcoholic synonymous, and I'll tell you something if you're new. Carl Jung said this. Bidden or not bidden, God is present. God was always there. Even when I was lying on a barroom floor, so drunk that I couldn't stand on my own two feet, he was there. I just couldn't experience him. But this program has allowed him to come into my life because of the 12 steps and dropping that little girl off yesterday and giving her a hug. And I sat in the car and I burst into tears. I said, Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you. For allowing me to be a, son. and I called my sponsor. I says, "Am I being selfish? I, I miss her already." And when he dropped her off, and he says, "Paul, you've done a good job as a father. You've done right. You've done well. You've been there for her, and now it's time to let her go on to the next stage of her life." So you've done well. I thought to myself, "Thank only for alcoholics anonymous." But my wife says me, I got married again an alcoholic synonymous. I got an 18-year-old, and my youngest daughter is four years old, all right? I know the jokes right themselves, you know? I don't look old enough to have a four-year-old daughter. That was my wife's greatest fear, that just going to walk into the room and realize somebody's diaper needs change. You're not sure if it's mine or the baby's, you know what I'm saying, you know? You can put the food away, nobody's eating anymore after that, you know? And my wife says, don't worry, you get to go all through it again with this wee one, you know. And she was in the car with us too. And I'll tell you a story about her. Her name is Dahlia. My oldest girl is Kristen. The little baby's Dahlia. And uh, on her last birthday, my, she loves the Lion King, you know. And my wife deck I was going to say we, but my wife decorated the whole living room like the Lion King. And she got up that morning on her fourth birthday and she, oh, she was just like, And she put her arms up like this and I picked her up and she whispered in my ear. She says, Daddy, I want to be four forever. (laughs) And my heart almost exploded. And the feeling that I felt that morning, that was what I was looking for in vodka. But it was bogus. It was counterfeit. It was phony. It was transitory. The real thing. The real heart. Moments are an Alcoholic Synonymous. Now, every day is not daughters going to college and fourth birthday parties, but the golden memories that A has given me this last 30 years, more than I deserve. Thank God, it's in this earlier. Thank God, A is not a meritocracy by where your good deeds out there ensure how far you go in here, or you'd have a different speaker. I am mean, not bar, and this is not false humility, that bar I worked in. I've seen good guys, backbone of New York City, regular guys drinking themselves to death and never darkened the door of an AM meeting. Guys that would really going give me their shirt off their back and hear me self-centered in the, in the extreme. My holy trinity is always me, me, me. And I get sober. And what has God ever asked me to do in this program? All, all God has ever asked me to do in this program He didn't say find a cure for cancer or be the first man to go to Mars. All God ever asked me in AA is to stay sober and help another alcoholic. And in trying to do that, which I don't do perfectly, but in trying to do that simple task, I've been so grossly overpaid in AA, it's embarrassing. And things of real value. Oscar Wilde, the Irish writer, says he knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. And Alcoholics nomads has taught me things of real value. Dropping your 18-year-old daughter off at college. Sober. Being at your fourth birthday party for your daughter. Sober. These are the things of real value that Alcoholics has given me tenfold, twentyfold. And uh, I just want to end on one story that just sums up AA. And I've seen it here today. I love we are people who normally wouldn't mix. Now, you go to Northern Ireland, everything is split along religious lines, Catholics and Protestants. Everything. What whiskey you drink, what bar you drink in, what soccer team you support, everything. And I was home there one year, and around Christmas, before I got married, I would go home each year in sobriety, and I got asked to speak at a meeting one night down in Belfast. And uh, the night, the day after Christmas, Boxing Day, one of the paramilitary leaders got murdered inside the Mays prison during visiting hours. And the country was on the brink of a civil war. Um, I was asked to speak at a meeting in Belfast. My brother sober were there a long time too. I got sober in New York. And he says, Paul, we can't go into Belfast tonight. He said, they're burning buses, there's barricades. I mean, the place is like, you know, on tender hooks. I said, Ah, oh, we'll go anyway, you know. He says, You've been living in the States too long. So we get in the car four Catholics from West Belfast, and we took this circuitous route, and we over the peace line, we're going into East Belfast, which is all Protestant, and we finally get to the meeting, and it was quite, the and I love a humour. One of the guys in the car says, just think, the last time a Catholic was in this part of Belfast after dark, he was in the trunk of the car, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, thanks a lot, you know? And we get to the meeting and the kids over there, young teenagers, they'll do a thing called joyriding, Where they'll steal cars and drag them around and burn them out. So they see us pulling up, four strangers and they're looking at our car. And the guy who's small meeting, the chairman of the meeting standing at the door. And he recognises one of the guys in the car and he says to these kids, Hey kids, leave that car alone. These guys are friends of ours. And we walked into that meeting. I can't think of one place in Belfast. I can't think of one place in Northern Ireland that night that Catholics and Protestants were sitting together, but they were sitting together in a meeting of AA. And all that other stuff that seemed so important that was all over the six o'clock news was left in the parking lot where it belonged. And we talked about our common problem and our common solution. And in that hour and a half, there was far more united us than ever divided us. And I felt good knowing that those guys are sober in the world. And I think they felt good knowing that we were sober in the world. Now, I'm not going to say we left the meeting singing Kumbaya and skipping down the street. But it was good to know that no matter what, there's more unites us here, never divides us. A friend of mine was at a meeting in Tel Aviv. At the end of the meeting, it was an English-speaking meeting. At the end of the meeting, they're saying the Serenity Prayer. And there happened to be a Muslim woman standing next to a Jewish man. And because of their respective religions, they're not allowed to have physical contact. And he says it was like a pregnant pause. And then she picked up the big book. And she held one side of the big book. And he held the other side of the big book. And the circle was formed. If you're new here today, we get a front row seat for the very best that humanity has to offer. I only come in here to stop drinking. Thank God I've got nothing to do with the steps. I've had something to do with the steps. Alcohol, we, we mention in every step. Alcohol only mentioned the first half of the first step. Thank God for the first hundred. The immediately turned around and start marching us towards a solution in another 12 steps and get this life that I did not know existed. So I want to end on a few words that sums up how I feel about you and how I feel about Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the Irish blessing. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Thank you so much.